Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Welcome to episode 16 of Talking Shop, the podcast all about Photoshop. This week, I have special guest Christina Shirk, high-end retoucher, who has some great tips about retouching your photos in Photoshop. There's lots of great information in this episode about retouching and even an opportunity to download a free action from Christina. But first, here's her bio. For the past 10 years, Christina Shirk has been a high-end photo retoucher based out of Washington, D.C. She specializes in realistic retouching and has done work for many clients such as Time Inc., Hasselblad, Mertz Aesthetic, and Cotton Incorporated. She loves translating Photoshop for people, and subsequently, she's a contributing author for educational publications like Shutter Magazine, Photoshop User Magazine, and Lightroom Magazine. She's also the author behind three newly released Kelby One classes and Photoshop Cafe's Fashion Retouching DVD. Now, she'll mention this on the podcast, but you can check out her store for free Lightroom presets and Photoshop actions. That's sharkpixel.com store. Here's the interview with Christina. So I'm here with Christina Shirk, who's joined to chat on the podcast today. Uh, Christina's particularly known for her work in retouching as well as headshot photography. But my first question is, I understand that at some point when you were in your early days, you were like training to be a performer and like singing and dancing and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And how did that kind of morph into <laughs> what you're doing now? Well, it's funny, you know, I think everything kind of primes you for what you're going to end up doing in life. You know, it's it, so in so many ways, like being on stage and being in front of people and being perform a performer really helps prime you for composure and eloquency and, mm -hmm. you know, all of those important concepts that you need to learn when you're growing up. So for me, musical theater was kind of just a, I don't know, it was a good training exercise for just being on stage in general. And so when I started doing Photoshop, not necessarily the actual Photoshop, but as I started teaching for the Photoshop, when I had to get up on stage, it wasn't a big deal for sure. me because I had all of that experience. So the first time I saw Julianne Cost walk up on stage <laughs> and she got the massive roaring, you know, the roaring applause and everything like that and she walks out and she starts talking about photoshop i was like oh my gosh <laughs> that's pretty cool how can yeah. i do that yeah exactly <laughs> i know what it's like to be on stage but i could never do what she does but you know be cool It'd be cool <laughs> so yeah so just teaching from the stage i think um having that background experience in performing just helps command an audience in general now there are there any times when you're teaching or touching a class and you suddenly just want to burst into song and just be like <laughs> just for the heck of it no there are zero <laughs> uh, there are zero situations where that happens although i have thought about a funny thing where you do like you do like a photoshop demo in the, like opera like you just <laughs> sing all of the steps instead of doing anything and, but do it like, with a straight face like what people totally, don't always do this <laughs> totally well so we were at the keynote for photoshop world and there was an unfortunate circumstance where technology was not working very well for the the keynote speaker and there was this deathly silence in the audience and i was starting to get really uncomfortable that i 
I would tell I was like this close to standing up going if you're happy and you know just something because I was like <laughs> yeah I'm, I would have broken you know, out into a time step he, he or was two. he was handling it like a pro like he would but just everyone else was kind of like what do we do when this happens and it just struck me that this would be the time where you just do a little tap dance it's or something amazing just how we can't function without <laughs> wi-fi nowadays exactly and and to be able to not like melt on the spot and go, hey, what do I do now? <laughs> so you're uh, particularly known for retouching as both a profession, but also from teaching standpoint. So let's kind of jump into that a little bit. And, and one of the common questions that I get from the members that I have in my training site is there appear to be several different approaches to retouching. You know, you can do with the high end, like frequency separation, or you can do this or that. A, how do I decide and what's quote unquote good enough for what I'm doing? So how would you, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's at that point of going, I'm not sure where I should be heading when it comes to portrait retouching? In terms of what application you retouch for a specific image? Or like, again, deciding because they've heard I can, you know, some people recommend frequency separation. Some people say you can use another method. But this is going to take 10 minutes where this might take you an hour. You know, that kind of thing. Like, how do you decide which which direction to go? You have to make that decision on your own because it's different for each image that you're retouching. And so unfortunately what you have to do is you put, have to put in the time to learn both methods and then you can make that decision. But if you don't know both concepts, if you don't know which one's better and you have some person telling you that this is better, well, that method may be better in some instances, but there may be a better method in other instances and so everything is different and Mm -hmm. that's what's so frustrating is that there is no right answer (laughs) in photoshop in general yeah i mean that's that's one of i remember being on a facebook group and someone posted a question that i knew without even looking at the comments this should be interesting And they're like what's the best way to retouch a portrait and i was like well this should be good (laughs) and of course people like oh you have to do it this way or you must this is the best way and i'm like well like frequent separations from a technical standpoint yes it probably gives you the highest level of control but if you're a wedding photographer that's got hundreds and hundreds of photos exactly are you going to be able to invest all that time especially if you're not charging for it right you know so trying to make the decision based not only on technically which might be the one that most people would agree is the quote-unquote best but best is a relative term right yeah (laughs) absolutely so in your work what where you how do you balance that is it based on like obviously you have paying clients that are saying just you know make it the best it can be so they have a an expectation of a certain charge for that yeah um do you also have people like when you do headshots is do you do a certain amount of retouching included in the yeah the exactly so for me it really is client specific so i have retouching clients like simzio which is specifically a brand for psoriasis so what i'm doing for them is i'm literally cutting out pixel by pixel and if there are images and the images are showing in the united kingdom for example their laws are different over there so because it's 
the psoriasis brand, the models that are in the ads have to have visible psoriasis. So okay. now what I'm doing is I'm actually spending my time adding psoriasis back into skin <laughs> on models who never had it in the first place, which I feel like is sometimes a little bit backwards. But again, in the same vein, uh, if I'm doing work for Retin-A Micro, I'm adding acne in <laughs> to images. And I'm like, I spent the last 15 years learning how to take acne out. Why am I adding acne in? But, you know, it, whatever pays the bills, whatever the client wants, they're going to get, right, you know. Sure. But for those images, yes, totally. Frequency separation, spending the time in zoomed in at 300 percent. Like that's where you've got to be. Right. You have to make sure that that cutout and that clipping is spot on. Right. right. But if I have a headshot client coming in. I'm not spending that time. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very I'm a very big proponent of using plugins and portraiture. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you do portraiture right, yep. you know the right settings and the right application, then there is a space for that. Sure. It all comes down to what are you getting paid for and where is the money coming from and where is the time being spent. So for right. a headshot session, the the time is being spent, the money is getting paid to me to be a photographer. Yeah. For the retouching work, for the retouching client, the photos are already taken. Sure. So my focus is, you know, right. the the frequency separation sure, specifically. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think especially, well, my perception is that more and more people going in for a headshot, they're just sort of assuming that there's going to be some level of basic retouching, I would think. I mean, yeah. that's almost like an assumption. So there they would not be expecting you to say, "Oh, and if you like me to retouch it, it's an extra X dollars because they're like what you know that's that's not the way it works because that's sort of become the norm i guess yeah so for someone who's deciding that okay i want to pursue retouching in in different ways i know one of the things that that you've taught at photoshop world and i'm sure other places as well is using lightroom as a place to do some retouching so what kind of obviously we can't go into detail the specific but generally speaking what's kind of the process when someone wants to to do some Again, basic retouching in Lightroom. What kind of approach would they take? Man, you you better learn the crap out of that adjustment <laughs> brush because there's so much you can do with that adjustment brush. I mean, especially nowadays, you know, we, what what's just come out is that new texture slider. And that texture slider is amplifying detail and amplifying contrast in similarly colored areas right. of the image perfect for skin texture mm -hmm. or diminishing skin texture, yep. you know, and that slider is also available in the, in the local adjustment brush. Right. So really learning how that local adjustment brush works. It's like having a bunch of adjustment layers in Photoshop and not having to worry a bit about masking because the local adjustment brush it's built into the brush that it's only going to show up on the areas that mm -hmm. you paint it onto. Sure. So you don't even need masking. So it's really, it's just, it's an awesomely powerful tool. Sure. And with all the new sliders that are coming out and being implemented into that tool, I mean, there's so much you could do. You could do a color overlay. People don't know that. Mm -hmm. They can do a color overlay on a brush. Right. <laughs> so amazing. Now, 
the other advantage, of course, in both Lightroom and Camera Raw is everything is by nature non-destructive. So I know that I advocate in Photoshop often when you're trying to do something is there's nothing wrong with kind of overdoing the settings so it's easier to see what you're doing and then kind of pull it back to a more natural looking level because you can. And I think a lot of people overlook that and I watch people who you know, do a subtle change and then they're trying to mask it and they're kind of, you can almost see them going where I can't, I can't really tell the difference. I'm like, well, then why not make the difference easier to see by deliberately, okay, it's going to look bad at first, sure, clearly, but at least that way you can see what you're doing. I think the same principle would apply with those, with the local adjustment brush. If you're concerned, am I getting too close to their eye, for example, then just bump up the settings a little bit so it's easy to see where you're working. Right. Yeah. Or the O oh, the or the O key, which mm-hmm. is just gonna pull up your mask overlay so that you can actually see where you're painting it in. But you're totally right. Like if you're having problems seeing it visually with your eye, then maybe your settings aren't high enough. <laughs> you know? So is it do you have kind of a checklist that you go through or is it just everything let's let me be more specific, because obviously the client retouching where they have very specific things like psoriasis would be kind of a different situation. But for say the the headshot retouch where you've given yourself I'm going to spend minimal amount of time do you kind of go through a checklist of like eyes teeth whatever or how absolutely. do you approach that absolutely and I think it's one of the most important things for photographers and retouchers to really sit down and have a hard conversation with yourself about mm-hmm. right like so if you are being paid as a photographer to take these photos and you're doing your own retouching you are getting paid for the photography which yeah. is an hour session or a 30 minute session They are not thinking about the time on the back end that it takes you to retouch those images. So if you make the conscious choice to spend three hours on an image retouching it and you're paid, let's say you're paid $400 for the shoot, okay? And you spend an hour shooting and then you spend three hours retouching. That means your hourly rate goes to $100 an hour, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. But if you spend an hour shooting... And an hour retouching instead of right. three hours retouching, <laughs> your hourly rate is 200, right? Did I do <laughs> yeah, that math simple right? simple math, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so what you need to, <clears throat> and this compounds over time, right? I'm just, you know, it's yeah, a sure. simple ex- explanation, but you have to have a really hard situation, especially, so I suffer badly from ADD. And so for me, what I like to do is I like to create actions which are gonna give me an outline. Hmm. An outline that has teeth whitening, blem- uh, a layer of blemish removal, a layer of skin smoothing already applied, a checkbox for visibility of redness removal, and then I have an accentuating eyes folder for brown or hazel eyes, and then I have an accentuating eyes folder for blue or green eyes, and then blush, highlight contour. I think that's it. I think that's all the layers it has. But it's an action that I run on every image. And then I have an outline of and then everything is hidden behind black masks. Mm. So it's all all the layers are there. They're all created for me. And it's an action that I have that's free to download on my site. uh, Sharkpixel.com forward slash store. You can go on, you can download this action and you can run it on any of your images. And what it does is it just gives you a parameters. Sure. I have to hit these things, mm-hmm. but then once those things are done, I'm nice. done. And I got to roll on to the next image and it just keeps you on task. It keeps you productive yep. and it keeps, yeah. And it just makes your time go and you're not going to fall into the, like the retouching rabbit hole. Right. Exactly. And that's 
that's such a smart idea. And, and I, I love to hear that because in an earlier episode of the podcast, I talked about automation. I said, my fear is some people think of automation as it has to be A to Z, like do the whole process. Whereas an action that gets you set up to do your work is still saving so much time compared to if every time you had to go, oh, wait, I have to add this adjustment layer and make the mass. I mean, to have it run that and then you can decide whether you need to apply those or use a particular layer or increase or decrease, but at least it's gotten you closer to the end result totally. automatically. Totally. I think that's a really smart idea that that is it makes such sense from a workflow standpoint. People are always talking about how can I improve my workflow? To me, that's a perfect example is don't think of it as it's certainly you can't make an action going to retouch the entire photo for you. That no. Not, yeah. Because you need happen. the human eye and the human brain. Right. But to set it up so that you then you can make those decisions without having to worry. Was there something else I should be doing or, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the I, every if you do something more than five times in Photoshop, you should have an action for mm-hmm. it. And if you do something more than five times in Lightroom, you should have a brush for it. Sure. That's what I say in all of my classes. Yeah. Like the the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again and expecting a different result. <laughs> if Photoshop can literally do it for you. Let Photoshop do it for you so you don't have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. We're going to continue this in just a minute. But first. It's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is actually about retouching. If you're using a tool like the spot healing brush or the healing brush or even the patch tool, sometimes there are elements on someone's face you don't want to remove completely because it's just part of their face, but you do want to lessen it. And the way you do that is to use one of those retouching tools on a blank layer and then lower the opacity of that layer. And sometimes you can even have more than one of those layers. You might label them as, say, 50% opacity and 75% opacity, and then before you use the touching tool, you just decide which layer onto which you want to retouch. And that can give you a much more realistic result. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. All right. So continuing our discussion of the world of retouching, you mentioned right before we paused about Lightroom. And if you do things more than five times to have a brush, where does the world of presets fit with you? Do you make a lot of presets as well in Lightroom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, When, so I'm not really a landscape kind of photographer or anything like that. So I'm really doing like mostly portraits and stuff like that. So I rarely am adding split toning or adding general changes to my image. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really fixing, if I'm doing something to the entire image, I'm kind of fixing color or fixing exposure. I don't really have presets that I use that are going to give it a cool effect because the whole reason for a headshot is to show what the person actually looks like. They're not looking for So you're saying you're not applying like beach or bleach bypass or whatever it is to something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So So is there a role, would you say, for presets at all or because they're so global that they're less important in the world of retouching? I think as a person, unless you have a specific style that is over all of your images and that you're applying like split toning, like maybe that's something that you specifically do that like almost it almost like markets your your images are like 
you know, you kind of all of your images look, look yeah, the signature yeah. look. Uh, unless that's the case, the more you know about all the sliders and you, the more you know about each slider and how it works, I think the less and less you rely on presets. Sure. Because the other thing is that like as you progress in your knowledge base of photo editing in general, you start to realize more and more what's wrong with an image and what needs fixing. Right. When we're all starting out, we don't know what needs fixing. And so every photo is different. Every photo needs something fixed and then they don't need something else fixed. So the whole preset thing. Now, there is one situation where I do use presets and that would be when I'm shooting underwater. Mm. Because I know that all of those images are going to need profile corrections because sure. I shoot with a very wide lens. Mm -hmm. And I know that specifically, innately, all images that are shot underwater have color contamination on all the colors. Right. So I know, in general, if a photo is taken underwater, I know that the greens are going to look closer to cyan and they're going to not and they're not going to be as close to yellow. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the hue of the greens and I'm going to nudge the greens closer to yellow to add some of that warm color back in. And so I know that for general in general use that that's going to happen. So the, yeah, so I would use presets then. Cool. Now, one interesting thing I've noticed, because I've been doing a series of, of interviews uh, here at Photoshop World, that an interesting habit we all have when we're talking about sliders is that even though we're saying move the green, we're actually physically taking our hand and going, because <laughs> you were going, I'm going to move it towards green. And we tend to gesture like somehow that's going to help indicate that I'm moving the slider, yeah, yeah, way, yeah. even though no one can see what we're, no, that's what we're true, actually that's doing. True. It's just it's funny to me that that's kind of a habit where you're like, you just move it this way or you tweak it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe it's an educator thing. I think it must be. I know I, I talk with my hands even when you don't need to because people are watching you move a slider on the screen, but I still tend to accentuate it by gesturing in some way. To go <laughs> That's so <over> funny. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm sure it's so true. <laughs> so here's a, a question I've been asking everyone, and uh, it's kind of an unusual one, but I'm going to put you on the spot and see what comes up. So we're going to assume for a moment that the world just kind of turns upside down and suddenly you get a call from Adobe and says, yes, uh, we would like you to be in charge of Adobe, particularly oh. in charge of Photoshop and Lightroom. So you can do anything you want, you know, change anything, add anything, change an approach. If that were to happen, what would be the, the thing or a couple of things that would be the first thing that comes to mind that you would change to either Lightroom or Photoshop or anything of that nature? Wow. So uh, what I, I have two requests for the <laughs> Adobe gods. The first one is for Photoshop, and that is that when you're starting to learn masking in Photoshop, it's really hard to not have a, a, an effect to the cause of ask, adding a mask to a layer. Mm. So you add your mask and nothing happens. Right. And th when you're a true, true beginner, that throws people off a lot. Mm -hmm. So I would like in the settings to have the option to have the option of by default, when you click the add layer mask button, it's gonna immediately go to black mask. Mm -hmm. So that something happens. Right, yeah. So that they can be like, oh, okay, I clicked a button and something happened. Now they can always go to that mask and invert it to white. Right. Or you could go into the settings and you could say, leave by default, when you add a mask, leave it as right. white. Now I get it. Now so, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like leave it as white. I think that would help 
people, especially super beginners, mm-hmm. I think it would help people grasp the masking concept yep. easier. I see that. So that is my first request. My second request is in the settings for Lightroom, I would let you either have the option to real time write changes to the XMP, which takes a lot of processing power Mm -hmm. away from whatever you're doing in Lightroom and pointing that processing power towards writing the notes to the XMP or turning it off completely and not writing the XMPs at all. Right. Where is the option for write to XMP on quit of Lightroom? (laughs) I don't want I don't want to have it all off completely, yeah, right. but I also don't want it to take up processing power when I'm actually working in the program. Makes perfect sense. So can we do it on quit? <laughs> so those would be my two. Cool. So we're building up a pretty interesting list of things that we're going to eventually oh, give awesome. to That would be awesome. You should say, definitely. Now, all these experts have said this, so just do it, okay? Yeah. I was the, talking with Mark Heaps earlier, and we were talking about this very thing that it's funny how... I joke about the fact that who people who don't use Photoshop often say, well, just take his glasses off or whatever it is. Like, it's so yeah, easy. Yeah. But then I turn around and say the programmers, just add a checkbox in Photoshop to right, do this. Right. And they're going, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. Well, <laughs> that's like, like two weeks not, worth of work. Not quite that easy. You know, a yeah. million lines of code later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we get spoiled as as Photoshop users and Lightroom users that we see these cool new things like a texture slider. I mean, I can't even comprehend what went into that to make that happen. Yet for us, it's just a slider, just a slider, but it does magical things that that we then take for granted and go, well, that's cool. It's awesome. (laughs) So someone who's, who is trying to get better at Photoshop and trying to get better at retouching, particularly, let's just say portrait retouching to make it specific. What kind of suggestions do you give them as, as let's just say maybe an exercise to go through where the, so in other words, the pressure isn't on because you have to get this done today. If you were going to practice what would be kind of an approach you would suggest perfect taking? One. I have a perfect one and it's such a glutton for punishment. Anybody who actually goes through with it, <laughs> I will give the biggest hug to. If somebody comes back to me and says, I actually did that, then I will like give them the biggest hug and like biggest <laughs> pat on the back. So the concept of dodging and burning for skin, of creating the effect of three dimension on a two dimensional scale, on a two dimensional piece of paper Mm -hmm. or a print or a photograph is one that's kind of elusive to people when they're getting started. They're like, well, what do I brighten? What do I darken? How do I dodge and burn? You know, why should I even dodge and burn? (laughs) You know, and that's all extremely important. And the concept of learning it is really important. People need to realize that dodging and burning, like for example, for wrinkles, wrinkles are just areas of a highlight next to a shadow. So think of like mountains, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you've got mountains, they're just, they're lit differently. The, The peaks of the mountains are bright and the valleys of the mountains are dark. So if you take a photo of fabric that isn't stretched out straight, but is bunched, bunched fabric. And you sit there and you dodge and burn all of that, all of those bunching so that it's flat. That is when you're training your eye to Mm. actually understand exactly what happens when you dodge and burn. And I think it's a wonderful learning exercise for understanding exactly what 
what and why yeah, and how yeah. dodge and burn works and you would deserve a very big pat on the back <laughs> after doing that so when you started that somehow in my head i had this vision of you were going to say like make a gray layer and then draw an actual face by using dodge and burning oh. to to bring out like the nose and the <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would well, be pretty yeah. challenging too but. that would be really challenging <laughs> but uh but a lot of it goes back to your first figure drawing class when you're responsible for adding shading to certain areas mm-hmm. and creating that depth on that piece of paper like if you've ever taken a drawing class mm-hmm. it's the same concept yep. you know just brightening some areas and darkening other areas to make the illusion of something that's three-dimensional instead of two-dimensional. Nice. Now, one other last question, maybe a, a quick question. I, and I've always not liked that when someone says, I have a quick question. I'm like, well, it's not the question that's the issue, it's the answer. But for people who are not professional retouchers and want to do things quickly as possible, I think there's a tendency to say, well, I mean, I have like the spot healing brush or the, what? where would you say is the role for those and the maybe if there is any potential danger in relying on those too much? I think all of your blemish removal tools that there are, I just talked about this in my class. I think that there are strengths and weaknesses to all four of them. Mm -hmm. So for me, when it comes to blemish removal, you have the patch tool, you have the spot healing brush tool, you have the healing brush tool, and you have the clone stamp. And so each one has its its applications where it shines and each one has it's like oh i can't handle this i don't know what's going on but i'm doing it wrong like it's something (laughs) so learning the strengths and weaknesses of the four tools is going to allow you to use the one that's best for the um for the tool. For example, if you're using the spot healing brush tool, there's a, a menu bar up at the top of the spot healing brush tool. And right. there, if I use the spot healing brush tool to get rid of blemishes, I have it set to normal mode. And I have the, I have the, it's not kind, but what's next to normal mode? Anyway, I can't think of it, but mm-hmm. it's set to proximity match right. to get rid of blemishes. Mm-hmm. But if I'm using the exact same tool to get rid of flyaway hairs, I'm using replace mode and I'm using content aware. Right. And that totally changes, changes the tool yeah, sure. and how the tool reacts. <laughs> so, so yeah. So the more you learn about the tools, the more they're going to just perform so much better for you as the user and you know and the patch tool is one of the like oldest tools Mm -hmm. in photoshop (laughs) but it works yeah yeah and it's going to work great in some some situations and i think that the important lesson there and this is a uh, one that we don't say enough is that it's often too easy to say things like well you know there's multiple ways to the same end result which kind of implies that that all those retouching tools are you know, similar enough. But as you said, I think really digging down a little deeper and going, but let's really find out what's the strength of these tools to know that it's easy to say, well, the spot healing brush is good because it's quick. And the and the healing brush, you have to sample an area, so it takes an extra step. But that's just sort of touching the surface of the difference, not really digging into in what situation would they be better to use. Yeah, yeah. Cool. 
Well, I thank you so much for taking the time. Now, you did say it before, but tell us again where if people want to find out more about you and or get the actions that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's a bunch of stuff you can download on my store. So sharkpixel.com slash store. And the action that I was mentioning in the podcast was the portrait in a pinch action. Okay. So if you want to go down, you can download that for free. There's a bunch of other stuff on there too. And then also if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's shark underscore pixel. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Well, that was a great chat with Christina. I thank her very much for not only joining us and pointing out some great ideas, but also a first, a free download of an action. Thanks, Christina. I appreciate you sharing that with the audience. Thanks so much for listening. As always, I'd ask you if you know some people that use Photoshop, you could share this with them. And if you have a moment to leave a review on the Apple podcast site, that would be fantastic too. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Cross. See you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.